Hey guys, don't forget the 2023 Street Cop Training Conference, Nashville, Tennessee, April 23rd through the 28th. You do not want to miss this so far. Guest speakers, Rob O'Neill, the Navy SEAL that was responsible for killing Osama bin Laden. Kyle Carpenter, U.S. Marine, Medal of Honor recipient, jumping on an IED to protect his platoon. Fox News host Tommy Lahren returns for 2023. Sheriff Wayne Ivey, Sheriff Mark Lamb, Sheriff David Clark, and more to come. You don't want to miss this event. We additionally have 20 of the country's top law enforcement educators giving you the best experience of your life. You will leave this event knowing more about your job and how to be proficient at the things that you do, hands down, than any other event that you'll ever attend. I personally guarantee it. Don't miss out. There's a room code at streetcop.com for our room block and room code at the Gaylord at Opry is where the event's taking place. Don't miss out on a discounted rate. The rate is from Sunday to Thursday. Put that in and find yourselves at a half-price room. Split it with a friend, but make sure you get there. You don't want to miss this event. It is going to be that good. If you trust me and you trust Street Cop, trust that you will leave there feeling like you've had an experience of a lifetime. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. And today I have to meet somebody who wanted to come on here and give a lot of thought behind PTSD and help the community from the sincere bottom of his heart, Travis Gribble. Travis, give us the two-minute version of who you are, your experience, and maybe some of the mission as well. So, yeah, Travis Gribble, um, retired sergeant out of Mesa PD in Arizona. 24 years in law enforcement. I started in Michigan, spent about 11 years there, and it always had a big desire to go and work for a large agency. So I was searching around the country in Mesa and Arizona. Was They had one of the best programs as far as accepting lateral officers with experience. You know, we started out with four years on the pay scale. So yeah, I took the leap and ended up in Arizona. So um, was also chasing a dream. I did a part-time, a part-time SWAT and a, you know, low operational tempo team in Michigan, but always wanted to work for an active team and they had one. So shortly after I got there, I pursued the SWAT career and was fortunate to make the team and spend a lot of years on that to finish out my career. So, and now, yeah, I dealt with, uh, it was one big call in 2016, uh, actually the first day of when I promoted and didn't deal with it accordingly and went through six years of, you know, just a lot of bullshit, didn't handle my stuff, was still performing exceptionally well at work, but, you know, personal life was falling apart. And then finally, when I finally got my knees taken out from under me in 2021, I got the help that I needed. And, and now I'm just having a voice to try to help people, you know, lessons learned just like we do with SWAT teams, you know, you do a debrief and figure out, hey, what did we do right and what could we do better? What was the transition like from Michigan to Arizona? So it was huge. So I worked for a very small agency back in Michigan. Um, We had, I think we had 13, 14 people on the road at that time. So it was a typical big or big area to patrol, but for a small agency to where you know, the night shift, we had 600 square miles and we'd have two people on. We had some small little villages that would have maybe one officer on sometimes, sometimes nobody. And then the state police, if they were available, they would, uh, you know, come and help 
but it was a rural community. And then, yeah, we went to Mesa, which if you're not familiar, is just outside of Phoenix. Right now, there are about 520,000 people and the department's in the mid 800s for officers. So big city policing, just loved it. Went in working graveyards, which is our night shift and just threw myself at it. So yeah, you were happy with it. You were happy with the transfer there. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, I'm just a you know, an adrenaline junkie chasing bad guys, you know, got hooked up with a really good squad on night shift. That's what actually, you know, helped me help the doors open to get on SWAT. A lot of the guys were SWAT at the time. And so we just had a blast. So it was a lot of fun. How do you like Arizona overall? Are you still there? No, I actually seven months ago, prior to me retiring, my wife and I had made a plan. We wanted to move to Montana. So we had bought 14 acres up in a a little town called Phillipsburg, which is about an hour and 15 away from Missoula. And when my retirement happened, we decided to make the move. So now we're in Montana. So the reason I asked that is I'm looking at the decor in the background and I'm saying oh. this is not conducive to an Arizona no. house. It is not. Yeah. Arizona's great. Obviously, I don't miss the heat. Um, that's actually part of the reason why I was chose to work night shift, because even though it was still warm, at least the sun's not beating on you nonstop. So, um, but yeah, it's has, a, they have a lot to offer PD, you know, a lot of opportunities for training. They're very progressive. Uh, so I really enjoyed that part of it. You've heard good things about uh, that police department. Uh, I yeah. have. So my brother-in-law is on Maricopa County Sheriff's office. So oh, right. I think I've heard you say that right on. Yeah. yeah so, so I've, I've got pretty good context of the area. Um, yep. And I just had a class last year, uh, last November in Scottsdale, but we'll be coming back there probably in okay. 2023. Good. So we had a, a big group in Scottsdale that came out and uh, I put the show on for them and they went out and right did some on. good things with it, which was great. So yeah, I'm familiar with the area. I've been going there for quite a few years yeah. and uh, I might have an addiction to the Scottsdale nightlife. I've never seen anything like it. It It is crazy. Yeah. I, I stayed away from there after you kind of, when you move there, you get your little fill of Scottsdale and then it's like, yeah, I don't. Not not want to go down there, but I see visitors and they love it. it has a ton to offer, so oh, you will wild, not be man. bored. Oh my god, <laughs> it's, it's a crazy. wild place. Yeah, it is absolutely. That's cool. So, what happened in 2016? So, shortly after I came to Mesa, they give you years of experience to be able to test for the SWAT. It's usually three years on patrol before you can test, but because I was a lateral and had experience, I could do it in a year and a half. Tested for the team, made it. A short time after going on to the team, about six months, it was decided by the executive staff that we were going to go full time because we were very high operational doing, you know, just under 300 operations a year. And so the patrol commanders, as much as they hated it, they're like, yeah, take these guys off our books because they're never around anyways. They're always going to search warrants, getting called out. So I went full time. Did my six years in that and actually was an assistant team leader. But then we're always trying to figure out like, hey, we see that one of our team leaders is going to retire or they're going to promote to lieutenant. We try to make a way for the next leadership to have come up through the team. So I was one of the ones that was willing to take the risk and say, because there's no guarantees you're coming back. Because once you test and promote to sergeant, you have to go back to patrol for at least a year. So I tested and yeah, tested number one on the list. And I think there's like 40 people. So my first day on the job in 2016, literally the first call out of the, the gate. So 
I was in what's called the STEP program. They, and it's not extremely organized, but they put you with a senior sergeant just to show you the ropes, the paperwork, scheduling, those types of things, administrative duties. So first call out of the gate, we get a just a peculiar call of a guy said he went over to meet another guy for sex. And during the course of that interaction, he told them or told the guy that, hey, I also have a young girl here if you'd be interested. So this guy wanted nothing to do with it. And we're dealing with obviously drug scene, all that. Guy makes a phone call and, you know, you get calls like that in the big city. And a lot of times it just doesn't get you hyped up. You're like, okay, we'll see if this even turns out. I start going to the scene and a heads up patrol guy, because this guy that called in to, to say it, he would not give his location, said he didn't want to meet an officer because he's involved in the criminal activity. He doesn't want to probably had drugs on him, didn't want anything to do with it. So a heads up patrol officer is driving by a park, and this is in a good neighborhood, and he sees a guy pacing back and forth, and he's on the phone. This heads-up patrol officer goes and make contact with this guy, and sure enough, it's the caller. So now this call becomes a little bit real. He starts getting details, and come to find out, he said, yeah, he said he had this girl there. I never saw the girl, but I felt like something was wrong. So we go there, and you know we're staying out of sight, Patrol lieutenant shows up and, you know, I'm the new sergeant. I have a senior sergeant with me and I'm sure you've seen it in your line of work. So we have a lieutenant that is really trying to find every reason why we don't go and make contact there. Well, me, this is a no brainer. I had confidence from being on the SWAT team that no disrespect, but Hey LT, we can definitely go do a knock and talk. Let's just see what happens. So he finally let us go ahead with that plan. And then I took, I guess, because I was a SWAT guy, they let me uh, take four guys up with me and we went up to knock on the door. So we go ahead and knock on the door. Guy opens up and he's dressed like a female, just exactly like this guy described. Um, and just things were odd, like it didn't add up. So we went ahead and grabbed him, pulled him out on the porch. And due to, you know, exigent circumstances, I said, hey, we're searching the we're searching the house. So we go into the house and I tell as, as soon as we go to the, the right, I see a closet door. So I told the other patrol guys, I said, hey, I'll hold on that. You guys finish searching. When you get done, we'll check this closet. So they search and they find nothing. <clears throat> so then I open the closet door and like a long closet and it's full of trash you can imagine just just a dirty apartment right so I look down in front of me and I see something weird with a bag so after I cleared I felt pretty good I holstered and I go to grab the bag when I grabbed the bag a little girl's head popped up she's duct taped uh the, with a mouth hands and feet and she's sitting it's literally a black garbage bag <clears throat> And she's sitting in her own feces and urine. So we pull her out of there, you know, get her unbound. And then the aftermath starts. Um, yeah. So I can't even explain that just what went through my head at that time, just the horrific, you know, you hear about a lot of things that law enforcement officers go through, but to find that and know what she has been through 
um, just it shocked my soul. You know, the chief of police came out and said at that time, he's, you know, 28 years. He says, I've never seen a case that's disturbing because it went on from there to where, yeah, there was stuff on computers. This girl was being trafficked and her mother. This was actually a babysitter, quote unquote, that her mom would drop her little girl off to this guy, knowing full what was happening and leave her there for the weekend. So it was just soul shocking. The sergeant that was with me, and no, this is no dig by any means, but he couldn't he couldn't continue in the call. So I took the call from there, handled the debrief. I, if you can imagine that kind of call, numerous detectives show up on scene, patrol commanders. It's a big deal. And then carry it out from there, go to the hospital, be with her, find out, unfortunately, all the extent of the injuries and probably the disgusting things that she's had to go through and yeah it was just tragic but I didn't say that it bothered me but it immediately it was soul shocking and you know at that time I've heard you talk about a little bit before that I was one of the guys in policing that I made it a point to demean people that went forward with help demean people that said hey this call got to me. I got to do something about it. So I was definitely not going to take that step. And, you know, it just, it wasn't, it was frowned upon at our agency. So. Uh, there are not many moments in my life where I've felt right. sick to my stomach and speechless and yeah. uh, panicky. And, you know, I was writing down before when you were talking and two things that I wrote was the importance of caring. Yeah. So, a lot of people come into this profession and they get jaded uh, and, you know, maybe blow a call like this off or, or don't want to follow up because they don't know what to do. And, and I think this is a perfect example of the things that I advocate for of why you have to care, right? Because it's not about you. It's not about your perception right. of what you saw on Fox News. It's about the person who needs the police to show up. So having that enthusiasm to go the extra mile was important. Then the second part of it is, I've often said to people, and this gets misconstrued at times with bad administrations or criminals, best friends, you had a Lieutenant mm. who almost cost this girl, probably her life. Absolutely. On a, on a bad call, just because this guy was in a, in a position with bars in his collar, didn't make him the right person to be making the decisions out here. And I'm glad that you were persistent. And I'm sure she was. So like, that's, that's, that's the rub for a lot of us is like, there's so many of us that care and so many that don't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to have that balance of understanding what our job is, why it's important to show up and do it the way that it's being done. And, you know, outside of all the stigma that you've endured from this, think about how important that job was. Right. It was, it was worth your actually, sacrifice, Travis. It was worth your sacrifice. Yeah. And I agree. And that was part of once I finally went and got help in 2021, that was part of the reshaping of how I looked at this call to help me get through. So, yeah, I mean, um, just to, you know, bring you up to speed. So I didn't go get help. It wasn't talked about. My training sergeant, great guy, taught me a lot. However, he just, he did not want to talk about it. The only thing our agency did, or you've seen them, the big debriefs where they bring in some sort of grief counselor and there's 50, 60 people that were involved in the call there. And they say, hey, who wants to share? Of course, that's not the right environment where that's going to happen. I don't even know 
honestly why we still do those things because I've never seen them to be real successful. And then, so that was it. But from that moment on, I had been through, I mean, by that time, you know, I had already been 20 years or 18 years in law enforcement. I've seen a lot. And I always used to say to myself, number one, um, I do have a belief in God that, hey, maybe God protects our minds at times, you know, for the trauma that we see. But then I'd also jokingly say, man, is there something wrong with me that some of this stuff I have seen has not knocked me out? But it was just my way of coping. You know, there's probably things that I should have sought some help on and just to try to work through some cases. And so from that point on, didn't get any help until 2017. I was dealing with things. I immediately had, I would drink uh, heavily because I had a hard time going to sleep. So thinking that, okay, it's making me go to sleep quicker. However, we all know now, and I know now from studying it, like you're not getting good sleep. It's just a two or three hours and you wake up. I was having night terrors. The calls that I would go to involving children, which had never affected me, um, now affected me. Specifically, we had a couple of murder-suicides, uh, one where the child was killed, the other where the child witnessed his mother being killed. Those types of things started to affect me different to where I'd go home and I would always go back to that case. I was obsessed with this case to where I was constantly contacting the detectives who since now there's been a couple of them that they went out because unfortunately they had to investigate the things they found on the computer. And it was just, it was in the news constantly. And I, I just was, it was on my mind constantly. So I did finally in 2017, I went through, you know, one of the benefits of having a large agency, we do have a peer group even though it's understaffed, but I went there and said, Hey, you know, I knew the guy. I said, who's our counselor that we're, that we're using. So he gave me a name and I went and I wasn't real honest to be quite frank. I'd go in there, give a few details, said, Hey, I think I'm drinking too much. His response was, well, don't drink as much. You know, there was no, uh, like, how do I stop doing this? Like these things are bothering me. I didn't tell him about the call initially I said I was having problems sleeping, you know, these types of things. 2016 or prior to that, I went through a divorce. So I was talking to him a little bit about that. And then each time I'd go in, and it wasn't regularly, I think I went in four times before I finally went and got real help. I would give a little bit more detail. And then, you know, things started to add up. I'd get back on the team. You know, I was struggling. I'd I loved patrol. I had a good group of guys. Actually, there's seven guys now on our full-time team that worked for me on graveyards as a sergeant. They're just guys that I mentored that wanted to, they wanted to do SWAT. I helped them get there. And so I had a great time doing that, but I was still dealing with all these, you know, issues personally. And I would, I have never been a guy that came into work and, you know, shared my personal life. I just was not I could shut it down. I'd show up on shift and like you would think everything was perfect all the time because I'm just ready to go catch bad guys. Let's find the felons. Let's do some good stuff. I hope it's busy tonight. I don't want it to be slow. So as far as work performance, none of my supervisors, I don't think would have ever seen anything, you know, because I wasn't close friends with any of my supervisors. So I get back on the team in 2019 and I'm thinking I, they bring me back as a team leader. 
like, okay, I'm going to get away from this stupid patrol shit that I'm having to see these murder suicides, all this, you know, yes, I'll, you know, have some hostage rescues, things like that. But I was thinking, okay, I'm getting back to my brothers because our team was extremely tight. Like these are my guys, you know? So I get back, we were busier than ever. I threw myself at work because that was a place where if I was busy, uh, then I'm not thinking about stuff. Like, give me another call. Yeah, I'm not on call this week. Well, guess what? I'm coming to the barricade. I'm coming to the hostage rescue. I want to just immerse myself into work to try to deal with the shit that was going on in my head. From there, uh, we had some pretty significant cases. And I could tell things were blowing up. I did get remarried. And my wife, she was an officer and just so happens she was a detective in the Internet Crimes Against Children uh, division. And they were the only uh, division at that time that was mandated to go get checkups through a counselor once every three months, which is a great idea because you imagine the things that they're seeing. However, they are looking at things all day long, but I think it also minimizes like what our patrol guys and gals go through every day, the stress and the things that they're having to see. Well, she started telling me like, hey, we have this counselor we really love and you should go see her. And I knew a couple of her fellow detectives, these guys that were just these stone cold, no emotion. And I'm like, hey, this guy like likes her. Like, yes, they love her. They go back to her. They really found a connection. I kept saying, OK, I'd go, I'd go. Kept blowing it off. But she's seeing that, you know, you are still struggling with shit a lot. Like this is an old call. Well, then we go back on a vacation in the fall of 2020. She's from Ohio. Me being from Michigan, we spend a couple of weeks seeing friends and family. And I have a couple of big emotional breakdowns when I'm back to where to close friends, I start talking about the story and just lose it, just sobbing. And both of them are like, hey, man, you probably should go talk to somebody about this. This shit's going on. So my wife was telling me like, yep. You need to get into Jennifer was her name, the counselor. And I even called my SWAT lieutenant. Um, I'm very good friends with. And I told her and she the weird connection was that she was actually involved with that case. I was and, you know, she's dealt with it, too. And I said, hey, Diana, I'm struggling with this. I had a couple of things. I'm good to go for work because I had to make that known. Like no one's taking me offline. Right. And so. Um, I said, I'm good, but I think I'm going to get some help when I get back. She's like, yeah, Travis, you should. Well, I get back. We're still busy. I keep pushing off. The holidays come. And finally, after the first of the year, I make an appointment and she's busy. So it was going to be a couple months out, actually. And so this is now we're in March of 2021. And we'd had some pretty significant cases. We had a parental custodial case where we were working with our violent offender unit where the dad kidnapped the little girl. We were literally on him for 38 hours trying to find him. And he was making real vague threats. But at times like, hey, if you if I have to bring her back, neither one of us are coming back. You know, he's putting it out there that like, no, this is not going to end well. Right. So we finally get set up on him. And we're literally going to go get ready and be ready to conduct a hostage rescue. Well, he somehow gets on someone's cover, got blown, whatever it may be. And he gets out with a little girl in a vehicle and we're all in unmarked cars. And a pursuit takes place throughout Phoenix. Well, he's on the phone. He calls into our negotiators 
we give him a number while he's driving and he's saying, you know, statements that this girl is not going to make it if you don't let me go. So I make it very well known. I'm running the two. We had like two four man cars ready to take him off wherever it needs to be. And he's making statements. He's going to get her into a house. And I tell the guys like he is under no circumstances. He is not getting her into a structure. You guys got to stop this. He gets out of a vehicle and he's threatening and tells people that he does have a gun. Well, he pulls into a gas station in Phoenix and he he makes exit for a minute. And we think we're going to be able to take him. Well, he makes his way back towards the little girl in the car. And one of our SWAT guys kills him right there, ends it. Perfectly good shoot. But to watch this little girl, and we just took her dad out right in front of her. She doesn't know what the hell is going on. That call really punched me pretty good. And we had, of course, your Monday morning quarterbacks from up above saying, hey, why did you guys make these decisions, these types of things? And, you know, we have to go with the information that was given to us. And after that, my my lieutenant that I talked to, she said, Travis, you really need to go get some help. This shit's bothering you like I've never seen it bother you. So I make this appointment for March of 2021. And no shit, like I'm the on-call team leader this week. We have three team leaders and we rotate. Every three weeks you're on. I'm pulling into this counselor's office and a barricade kicks out. Of course, me, I can't let the ship go. So I get a hold of the counselor. I say, I'm sorry. I'm the on-call team leader. I got to head back to Mesa. I'll have to reschedule. We go back, barricades, typical barricade. It lasts like four hours. We had to gas the guy out, get him out. All good, easy day. When we go back home, I had showered, just sat down for dinner my lieutenant calls me, says, hey, there's a hostage rescue. Little girl had come out of a house. She had already been shot once by her dad, but she was able to exit, makes it to a neighbor. And she says, hey, my mom's still in there and my 18-year-old sister. So of course we're going, information's rolling as we're on our way. With the information we had, there's no way we're gonna set up for a deliberate. This is gonna be a hasty. We're gonna end up going in pretty quick. So I get there, grab my guys, and we make a plan to go. Uh, we could get up to the back of the house. We're going to do a shotgun breach to the patio door, go in and make entry. We do this, get in there, find the suspect dead, mom dead, and the 18-year-old girl had been shot and killed in her bed. Hopefully, she was still asleep. But the scene was just disgusting. There was blood everywhere. He had Shot the little girl, smashed her head through drywall. She fought her way out. There's handprints and blood everywhere. Just another, just shocking. And it hit me hard. And I was, all I'm thinking about is my guys that are in there with me. Cause I got a couple of the younger guys on the team. You know, you coming from law enforcement, you know how, when you have big scenes, a lot of guys come in there and they want to like, Hey, I want to see what this is. A lot of it's like this weird, how we do it as police officers. And some of it's for training. It was the first time ever I come out on the porch and I had guys from our team trying to, they're going to come in. I literally am yelling, get the fuck back. Cause I didn't want anybody else to see what was inside. And that was the first time I ever did that. It was pretty nasty and it was affecting a lot of team guys. So they took us offline for about, I think it was 24 hours. They said, okay, these guys need a break. We had been super busy. This had obviously hit the guys and it hit me pretty hard. And so this was on a Tuesday, so I had rescheduled and got in to see my counselor on Wednesday. And uh, I go the next day. I never in my life had done this, but I spilled my guts. 
told her everything from 2016 and she immediately took me offline. Like, yeah, you're done. Right now, we need to get you stabilized. I mean, I was in crisis. Um, suicide was on the table, those types of things. And uh, so, she, you know, go through a, a pattern of care, get me stabilized. She works with a psychiatrist, get me on some meds to get me sleep because I wasn't sleeping right, those types of things. And yeah, for the next year, about six months into it of going two days a week into counseling, I wasn't working, I was on short-term disability made the decision that like, yeah, this 24 years has been enough and talked with my labor organization. And I went down the route of seeking a medical retirement. And so I'm here now. And that this really started, I take it back to the, when I went to tell my team what was going on with me, they knew I wasn't working and they didn't know all the details. So I explained it. And that day that I told them, I had one guy come up to me afterwards and said, Travis, said, I'm struggling with some stuff and thank you so much for leading the way. And he goes in and gets, gets help. And now there's been four or five guys on my team now that they seek regular care and they're still operating efficiently, but they knew they needed to deal with their shit. And uh, so, yeah, that's how this all started. I don't want to get too off topic, but I want to just go back a little bit to yes, talk sir. about a few things. I think there's value to be had uh, from this podcast and people who are listening. Earlier, you talked about making entry without a warrant, and this is truly a good judgment call, especially based on the Fourth Amendment. And I try to say this because I want people to not be hasty in making a decision to save somebody's life. You had a type of call that came in was a not an anonymous tipster, and it ended up being a in-person reporting party who had concerns. This is a, is a citizen who had concerns. So. You have a guy out there corroborating details. You, you got all you need. You got all the probable cause in the world. You go there. As you go there, the thing continues to unfold. The details are matching what's been sold to you. And you go in and you say, this girl's life. Any hesitation could have been detrimental. So my hat's off to you. And it's further is the importance of knowing what you're doing, know what you can do. And not knowing these things could cost people their lives. Correct. That's the first one. The second thing that comes to my mind is I literally just read an article and I just put it on Instagram about the Democratic uh, person who is running. And it's not like a Democratic, she's, she's running on the Democratic ticket to be the district attorney in Maricopa County, Arizona. Already defunded the police $25 million in Phoenix, I believe. Right. Mm -hmm. When you ask about or want to wonder why police need overfunding, it's for things like this. It's not about your political agenda. It's the right. lives that are at stake in the field. So when I'm so anti against these people, there's a reason why it's actually not about me. It's about the purpose and the point. Cause I have children. Yes. Do you have kids? I do. I have two boys. So yes, I can imagine that this is probably, you know, had to hit home as a father. Oh, it did for sure. And again, I had never, you know, you always, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen it. You'd have guys that maybe they just had a child a few months ago and they go to a SIDS death, something like that. And it just affects them in a different way. Different. But I had never, I'd never had that, thankfully. But this, it totally changed my outlook on, on how, you know, kids and what we have to be for them to, because there's so much shit out there and the stuff that the normal public, I used to say, that I didn't want them to know these things. However, with this push that goes on, like you talk about, hey, we want to defund the police, things like that. Maybe they need to realize the things that the officers are out there doing 
to protect the people that are in their, you know, their districts, where they work, their cities, because you have to know that that's why we need law enforcement. And just, but with my boys, the way it affected me, especially that last one with the 18 year old girl, just to know that she had lost her life because whatever this asshole decided, you know, this father that day that, well, if he couldn't get his way, then he's going to take out his whole family. Like, who the fuck are you to be doing these things? And just, yeah, it was, it's just incredible, man. Cause I couldn't imagine, cause you want to compare like what would ever bring a father to do these things? You know, this reminds me of the story. I don't know if you've seen it where a kid is kidnapped. They call a city to go check on the car at the hotel. And so mm-hmm. the city, the patrol guy goes out there, goes, yeah, there's nothing going on. The car is there, but he's not there. They don't even go inside and look. They don't just don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And that agency sends their people up to go get that girl. And they made it, they made an exit uh, entry into that hotel room and rescued right. her. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. I think about that a lot. That's a perfect example. Yeah, I think about that a lot. I think about as a police officer, how do you live with yourself doing this job so half-assed? Exactly. Like when you're, when you're, it's dependent on you to save somebody. Mm-hmm. So that was a kid's life that you, we almost lost. But fortunately, right. somebody at the agency, the other agency just, you know, did not, consider right. that to be something they would accept as an answer and sent their people up there. And you know what? Listen, yeah. hats off to them. I, I, you know, recently we showed a video in a class of mine and I guy pulls a gun on the cop, it starts getting into pursuit. And I said to these guys, I go, guys, listen, if, if a sergeant or a lieutenant got on the call, if this guy just pointed a 357 at me on a traffic stop and said, terminate the pursuit, I'd probably be losing my job over it because it's not, I'm not terminating shit. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just not. I'm, and, I, and it's not because of my ego. It's because the next cop, is going to be the victim of this guy. So I already know what I'm dealing with. That's me. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying, listen to me, put that in your brain, make those decisions. I'm saying there are certain times where I'm not, I'm not listening. Big thing I would teach or talk to my new guys about, let's take a domestic, you know, a lot of officers or salty guys are like, how can we get through this domestic without really investigating? So I would tell my young guys, I want to ask you this. If we don't investigate this right, and we come on tomorrow or get a phone call tomorrow to say that that suspect killed that victim, could you live with yourself? Because I know I couldn't. So first of all, if you're working for me, we're going to investigate those. And I want that becoming your way of life. Like, yeah, maybe shitty. You may have 10 minutes left on your shift. I don't care. But you signed up for this. And that's what the public, you know, expects of us. I have more questions. Yeah. What happened to the guy? What happened to the girl? So he he's in prison now. Finally, it took quite a while. Yeah, he got I think it was 23 years. So which isn't enough, in my opinion. And mom no. got somewhere around the the 13, I think it was. So and what happened to her? She's in prison as well. The girl, the little girl. Oh, the little girl. So that's a good story. So, you know, that with dealing with foster care, that sometimes these foster care families say, yeah, I'm there if you have like these tragic cases. Like there's some foster care families that, yeah, we just want, we don't want real issues or anything like that. Well, they had a family like that. The family that took her in that initial time after she was released from the hospital for quite a few days, they ended up adopting her. That's wonderful. So yeah, so she's with the family now. And man, I'm just hoping, like I've talked to my therapist about it and they're, you know, kids are extremely resilient. I can tell you that day, one of the biggest things to me that I remember, there was no emotions in her. So I'm hoping that God somehow protected her mind, that she is able to move through this. 
and not have lifelong um, repercussions. And I don't, you know, I haven't had any contact with her since. There's part of me that maybe someday I would like to, but I'm just so thankful that, yeah, she's doing extremely well now. You ever call the parents and find out? I have not. I have ways to do that. I just have not. My therapist and I have worked through that a couple of times on how, what it would look like. I have these weird, you know, visions of meeting her in a park someday. And maybe I don't even have to meet her, but just to see her in a new light, you know, would be awesome. And I'm hoping someday that can happen. So you're just going along with the therapist advice at the moment, which is smart. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, listen, you you don't have to tell me. I know the therapist's yeah. advice is super important. And uh, that's why they're there. And I always tell people, you know, I'm, I'm an open book. I'm going to go to therapy once a week. You know, I'm not somebody I think that I, what I'm going to say is I think everybody needs to see a therapist if you have the ability to do so. Unfortunately, some people don't have the means to get the right therapist, but it's just not, for, it's not for everything in my life, just for certain things in my life. And uh, to help me try to understand some stuff to make it easier. And to be honest with you, to support other people more appropriately. Uh, it's, it's really not about me. It's about me being trained on how I'm supposed to help yeah. others. And really you're leading by example, because if the people that are surrounding you see that you're willing to like, I'm going to go. Cause they look at you, you're a successful guy, have your own business. Look at what that's doing and setting the example, which I think we all should be doing. And that's what I'm trying to do now. Yeah, I've only been to therapy. Uh, you know, this year was my first year going. Um, life events uh, mm-hmm. sparked that. And, you know, it's crazy. I mean, I wear this shirt with the police logo on it. And uh, if you ever see me in real life, I mean, I scream. That's a fucking cop right there. <laughs> but I don't wear the logo because I'm, I do because of branding. We do a lot of videos in the office. Uh, right. On my days off, I'm not walking around in police shirts. No offense if you mm-hmm. are. I just don't. Um, you know, I'm retired now as well. So I don't, I don't want to prompt or promote. Um, I, this is me. So right. well, you have to promise me that you'll, when you do find out that you'll reach back out because I'm, I'm curious to know what happens to the girl. And I'm going to pray for her tonight myself. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. Like, yeah. Unfortunately, and fortunately that the moment that you told the story, I don't think will ever uh, escape my mind in my life. And mm-hmm. uh, if it had that much impact, on me just in you explaining it. I can't imagine what it's like experiencing it. And I'm very thankful that I got out of this profession or this career without having to deal with anything like that. You know, one thing that really hit me is during the retirement process, we have to go through, they're called independent medical examiners. So I have my therapist and my psychiatrist, but the retirement board sets up two different other evaluations to determine, is this post-traumatic stress going to be long-term? Should he still be working? Well, the second one I had, and it was on Zoom because we were just, you know, there's still the weird COVID stuff and all that. And she actually started crying. And she said, that has never happened to me before. And she said, Travis, she said, I am shocked that you've made it another six years after this happened. And so to me, yeah, and everyone says that. And it is, I described it, it was soul shocking. You just, and it really it changed me a lot. I went through a long time where I, whether I tried to tell myself I didn't believe in God, I was angry at God because I couldn't believe that this type of thing was going on and it was allowed to happen, which was just crazy. But I've worked through all that now. And, but yeah, absolutely soul shocking. You know, I, not to bring it up or try to pro- pro- provoke anything that's unnecessary, but to remind everybody who's listening to this, think about the things that are going on right now. You know, that, that we don't know about or we never knew about 
and that mm-hmm. we have a good shot of maybe even stopping some of those things from occurring. That's why you got to show up again with this, with, with an attitude, a can do attitude that you're going to don't worry about what's going on in the four walls of the police department. You know what I mean? Like as long Correct. as you could look yourself at the end of the day in the mirror and say, I cared enough to care. It's a big Correct. deal. Earlier you said, you know, about is something wrong with me? Did I, how come things don't affect me? You know, the same thing. And then we always seem to find that one thing that kind of gets us. Uh, but one thing I used to tell myself to get through some of those tough calls was um, find strengths and other weaknesses. And mm-hmm. they need you to be here for this, for them. Yes. So I, you know, I would, one call that I recall when I really ingested this, I it was just a, it was a DOA. And I remember pulling up and of course, it was an older guy and I've had several before this. And uh, I had seen the senior meals thing outside of his house. They weren't, they didn't call, but they kept leaving those things outside. So there's, they're stacked up. A woman's out there. And I said, uh, you know, what makes you think that something's wrong? She's well, you know, typically I talk to him, da, 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 da. I could go in and did you go inside the house and look for him? And she said, no, I, I, I don't want to go in. And I, I responded to her. I said, I don't either, but I guess it's going to be me, huh? Right. For me, those mm-hmm. calls, I never enjoyed them. Uh, I, I found them to be heinous at times. I was really, I'm, I'm not one of those people who was very curious about what things look like. I would tell people, I right. don't need to see it. You're good. You can just tell me about it. I mean, people can't unpack how creepy it is to walk around the house and albeit not a bigger house, trying to find a dead body. There's no trauma to it. It's just, I see the guy, I'm like, it's all right. Yeah. yeah, it's a fucking weird thing. I and mean, then there he is, mm-hmm. he slumped over downstairs in the basement. Thank God he had the air conditioning on blast. And he's just leaned over. I grant, you know, I touch his arm. He's ice cold. And that was one of the last significant calls I had. But I've seen some fucked up shit. And I think everybody goes through that. But, yeah. you know, you try to find some comfort in knowing that, yeah, you know what? Like, it's not that this is what we signed up for. It's God chose me. Mm-hmm. I have exactly. to be there for these people because they don't have right. anybody else. So, which leads to my next thing which is an interesting topic because I heard you say it earlier, maybe not in these words, but I'm going to ask you this question, maybe give it an example, because I think this is something that's very, very concerning for a lot of people. Uh, me having experienced some of this in my personal life, what's the detriment of suppressing trauma? You continue to shove a trauma down and not deal with you it. What happens? You, so, so my therapist describes it. We all, everyone is different. We only have so much space. And if you don't deal with calls that are significantly impacting you or some that she she lives by the rule of thumb, if you're still thinking about things as you go to bed or pondering on the call three days afterwards, you should probably go have a checkup, have a conversation with a therapist just to see, hey, am I working through this right? But as you push it down it's going to bleed out in other ways, whether it's anger towards your family, anger towards the public that you're trying to help, angry towards administration, and just overall stress and the abuse on our bodies from drinking to try to cope with it to lack of sleep. It's just, I mean, the impact is is never ending. And that's why I'm trying to be a big advocate now of saying that it's okay to just, even if you don't think the call is taking you you know, off your feet, go, go discuss it with someone and our administrators and executive staff, they need to be willing to let our people go and do that. 
So how do you think that the PTSD and, and the experiences that you had have impacted your family? And my, I mean by, and I want to, I do want to, if you want to mm. talk about it, talk about your first divorce. Right. Uh, and if there's any correlation to that, but as a father, namely, what do you think it changed so, about the way you, you interact with your kids? Yeah. The first divorce was a lot of other things, but I specifically can talk about my kids. And it's funny because, you know, as your, as your children get older, you can start having more intentional conversations with them. So my boys, they know all what I've gone through and I've had to ask for forgiveness at times because I know that because I was dealing with shit inappropriately, I didn't have the patience that I needed with them. I mean, we laugh about some of the stuff now about how I was so anal about things because I try to keep everything so perfect in my personal world, whether it's how the house is clean, doing this or that, because I knew I couldn't deal with anything outside the lines because everything from work was overflowing. So yeah, I've had to go to them and apologize, but it's good for them because they know now that, hey, I mean, they always saw dad as this big, gigantic police officer, the big SWAT guy. They'd come to our, you know, SWAT family days and they just, that was just who their dad was. But to tell them that, yeah, these things, they broke me because I didn't handle them appropriately. I think it's super impactful. So I'm trying to use that now, but I definitely have some regrets because of, you know, the way that I treated them or, you know, just lost my shit. You know, I wasn't abusive or anything like that, but just, you know, angry outbursts or things that were just foolish. Have they forgiven you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, that's why we joke about some of the stuff now about, man, dad, you were so hardcore about something that now I even see it like that didn't mean shit in the whole scheme of things. You know, what moment do you remember saying to them that I'm sorry? It's only been, man, within the last year that I've, you know, as I've worked, I mean, I had to get myself well and stabilized first. And then you start pondering about how could things have been different? those, you know, last six years. And so those are at the the top, my two boys, what could I have done differently for them? If I would have been handling the things going on inside of me because of that call. So yeah, we've had some good times and I think they're better for it. I know I'm better for it. And uh, we just learn and go on from there. You know, it's amazing once there's water under the bridge, especially with a father son relationship, how to move forward and have a, have a great yes. life together. And, um, absolutely. You know, you don't want to have regrets of who you were to your kids mm-hmm. later on in life. Absolutely. And so anybody who's listening to this should really think about what do your kids see you as? What's their perspective right. of you? Who do they need you to be? Who do they want you to be? Mm-hmm. You know, I can't be everything for my kids, but I can be the best that I can be for my kids. My Correct. son asked me, my one asked me, uh, you know, can you coach my baseball team? And I say, you know, I, I can't, buddy. I just, I'm not here enough. It's not, it's not, yeah. um, you know, I, I will help out when I'm there and we can play at home, but I just, unfortunately that's, this is daddy's life. Uh, mm-hmm. Daddy's on the road. Daddy travels once a week and goes and teaches police officers. And that's that balance for me of, it's not about me when I show up somewhere, it's not even about my family and but it is about the people that show up and need me to show up to learn the things they need to do this job safely. And, mm-hmm. um, that's part of the deal. And I constantly, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I'm constantly adjusting it. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly playing with the dials of life to try to balance it out appropriately. And 
sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't, but correct. my intentions are correct and they're true and they yeah. mean, and they're well, I have good intentions and I'm just not criticized or not criticized. I'm doing the best that I can. Right. So what are you doing now with this PTSD? Uh, what am thing? I doing now? So yeah, it's pretty amazing. So literally when I was driving up with a trailer load of stuff, my wife's behind me in the U-Haul on the way to Montana, I had become friends with um, a buddy of mine that's now the undersheriff in Flathead County, which is in Kalispell area, Montana. And he called me and he said, hey, I know you're coming up to Montana. Would you come and do a debrief at this tactical leadership conference that we're having in Kalispell? It'd be for like for team leaders, team commanders, things like that. So I get the phone call and i like, yeah, no worries. I've got debrief saved. I can do that. But I hang up the phone call. And when you're driving 1,700 miles by yourself, you have a lot of time to think. And I said, and he knew my story. I had just recently told him. So I call him back and I said, Wayne, what do you think about me doing something on post-traumatic stress? And he's like, hell yes, let's do it. And so I had like two weeks to prepare, get up to Montana, head up to Kalispell. There's 75 people there, I think. And I give this presentation and I was blown away by people that came up after me or after the presentation were just like, thank you for being honest and sharing your story. I'm dealing with this and that. And now I've made this huge connection here in Montana. And then from there, because of how well that went there, I was contacted by the director of the National Tactical Officers Association for their annual conference. And so actually it's in two weeks, September 25th, my counselor and I are going to do two different seminars there. And I'm going to tell my story and then she's going to be talking side by side about the clinical response, how she dealt with things, lessons learned, what we could have done, what I could have done better, what the agency could have done better. So just amazing. And then I'm doing the next week after that, the Montana Chiefs of Police Association is having me come and do a presentation on post-traumatic stress in law enforcement. So, and then it started from, I just do these short videos on my Instagram site, just talking about things that I've been through, things that you can do to protect yourself. And I mean, not a crazy amount of followers, but it is a miraculous that I get these messages from people I would never expect that said, hey, this really spoke to me. I'm going to go get some help. Thank you. So as long as I can do it, I'm going to keep, if I can help one more person, I'm just going to keep going with it. What's the Instagram where they can find you? My underscore dot arena. So, and there's a significance for that because one of the first things my counselor did, she's amazing that she realized that when we come forward, part of the thing, we have a lot of shame. Like, hey, I'm saying that, you know, my, I got my butt kicked here by something mental. So she did this meditation thing talking about, it was the speech from the man in the arena and talking about, you know, and putting that around how we're going to battle now through this counseling. And so that's how that came to be. The man in the arena hangs on the wall here. Love it. Love it. So yeah. it's huge. I think it really speaks volumes to those who it reflects upon. And um, yes. I think it probably does more for the person in the arena than the person on the outside of the arena. Cause I, th I still don't think they could hear the noise. I think they are the noise. Correct. So doing something bigger than yourself. That's what we come yes. down to at the end of this whole thing is Correct. that you have found a lot of purpose in life happening for you and not to you. Correct. That's a good so way if these things didn't happen, you wouldn't be in the position that you're in. 
to be the person that other people needed you to be. Like, you know, yes. find strengths and other weaknesses. Right. Interesting stuff. Absolutely. It's full circle, doesn't it? Yes, sir. Well, what else do you have? I, I, don't, I don't know where else to go with this. This is pretty fucking good. Yeah. Hey, man, I just encourage other people that, you know, as far as executive level staff goes, you've got to create a culture in your agencies to smash the stigma. We cannot go on with having people not feeling comfortable that, hey, if they're dealing with problems, they can come forward. And there's so much surrounding that. Like, yeah, I know executive staff, I've never been a chief of police. You're always worried about, well, who's going to fill shifts? Who's going to do that? What if this guy comes forward and they need to be off work? To be honest with you, we can worry about those things afterwards, but you really need to be taking care of your people. And they need to know that they're not going to be shunned or looked upon poorly if they say, I'm struggling and I need to get some help. And then those out there that are struggling, even if you don't feel comfortable with your own administration, there are so many organizations out there now that are willing to help that you can go to. You can contact me. I have contacts with different organizations. I just want people to be okay because, I mean, you see the suicides that we're having in law enforcement. We've got to somehow change that culture and allow people to know they can go get help. I don't have much to say uh, in that realm, in that space, other than if anybody's listening to this and having difficulty, there is help. There's avenues. It's it's a matter of, I've been told, that phone call is the hardest part. Yes, um, correct. So make that phone call and just know that the world would be a better place with you, not without you. And the despair Absolutely. you're going to put your family through experiencing that kind of trauma uh, is unfair. And it is, it is a selfish thing. And I know that people may be in a lot of pain. I don't understand, but what mm -hmm. I can understand is that we do need you and you've yes. been dealt to some cards that aren't fair and you have to learn how to sort through those cards and get yourself back because there are a lot of people who have come back from that and, Life's wonderful, man. And I just think about like, what's yeah. worst case scenario? I'm a bartender on a beach in Florida with like white sands. Right. Like I got, I'm, I'm living very, very minimally. And, but I, every day I get to look at the ocean and, and meet new people and, and just enjoy, right. enjoy, enjoy nature. Fuck man. Like anything yeah. besides that, you know, there is, there is life outside of law enforcement. So if that, if it means you coming forward, that maybe it's time for you to move on. There's other things and a lot of happiness out there. Look, it's an important job and you should have a lot of passion while you do it, but it's not the only job and it's not the only answer. Correct. And Correct. the re and the reality Absolutely. of it is at the end of the day, it is a job. Yes. And if this job is getting you to the point where you don't feel like you are able to handle it, you know, it, there's, there's, there's no shame in saying I was either going to kill myself or go do something else. And nobody's right. going to shun you. And I've seen it. I've seen people leave this and told me that like, you know, I was going to, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. It takes right. a takes a big man or woman to actually admit that and mm -hmm. um, do what's best for them because it's your life, not everybody else's. So don't worry about the judgment of other people. Worry about you. Yes, sir. Well, Mr. Gribble, it was a real pleasure meeting you. And sometimes we'd never know we're going to get out of our podcast guests, but this one was a pleasant surprise because although it was a sad story, I think it has a very happy ending. And um, yes. yeah, boy, if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for that call that you made that day, who, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Thank you. So right. you're, you're, you're the, you're the perfect example of, of what we need to be right. on every level, even afterwards. I appreciate that.
All right, brother. It's a pleasure having you. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. All right, hey, I be, appreciate you. Travis, be, be in touch with us, all right? We'll, we'll do some more stuff in the I future. I will. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that, man. Okay. Thank all you. Right, I appreciate yeah. your time. No, dude, this is great. I appreciate it. Okay. All right, sir. Thank See you, buddy. Bye. Yes, sir. Bye. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.